Hello, my name is Lindsay Sarah Krasnoff, and I'm here with you for another episode of the Global Sport Conversations podcast series on behalf of SISD and SOAS. I'm joined today by Katia Foucault-Howard, a former professional player and Team France basketball player. Katia, I'm absolutely thrilled you could join us today. You've just had a fascinating career growing up in Paris, playing basketball in France and in the United States, and now working in sports communications, speaking to audiences on both sides of the Atlantic. Before we delve in, tell me, how did you originally start playing basketball and what drew you to the sport? And did you encounter any obstacles as a female player? Well, hello. Um, thank you for having me. So as you said, uh, I am from France and I grew up in Paris. I started playing basketball um, because my parents were physical education teachers. And so they were very, uh, very much into sport. And um, it wasn't an option for me to watch TV and do, uh, you know, extra uh, school activities without including sports in it. So I had to choose a sport. And um, I loved basketball. I had a member in my family who was an athlete on the national team, a player on the national team. And so I wanted to do the same. And that's how I started. That's brilliant. And, you know, drilling down a little bit, you know, you, you went to play Division One basketball at the University of Washington, where you captained the Huskies for three years. What made you decide to translate your, your passion and, and progress playing the game to attend university overseas? And what was it like to be a French player in Seattle at that time? Well, it, that was an amazing experience. So I was recruited from from France. Uh, my coach actually came to see me play, you know, to see if I was going to be able to play in the United States. So she came to watch a couple of my games in Villeurbanne. And uh, once she was convinced that, you know, I could join the team at Washington, the team offered me a full scholarship. So I spent four years playing for the Huskies. It was the first time that a French athlete went to uh, a university for the full four years. Um, before me, there were two basketball players who went for one year. But um, to be the first French player to actually go through the whole college experience was amazing. Uh, it was new. And, um, and, and what's nice is that I inspired a lot of athletes to actually do the same thing in all the sports. In Seattle, everything went well. I was welcomed. Uh, it was different for them because they never had a foreign athlete, but uh, everyone was very kind and very open-minded. Um, it was interesting because I didn't know how to speak fluent English. So uh, we had a lot of moments of, um, you know, not understanding each other, but uh, but it was fun. At the end, uh, I learned how to speak English and I was able to communicate with my teammates. But the main uh, way of communication was the game, you know, because we play the same game and, and that's what, you know, uh, helped me feel, you know, well adapted when I went there. You know, that's fascinating. I did not know that you were the first French athlete to complete four years uh, at a NCAA program, you know, certainly setting off the, 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 the wave of French players who now routinely come to the United States for their education and to play sports, not just in basketball, but I'm thinking here, volleyball, soccer and other sports. The first one being, of course, Jean-Claude Lefebvre, who played a year or two in Gonzaga in the late 1950s. Um, but so that that's a really fascinating connection. And you know, certainly when you talk about um, the the how basketball served as a, a common unifier, I'm thinking a little bit more, how did you explain France, its basketball culture and the concept of French identity and cultural heritage to your American teammates? 
Well, what's nice about the United States and when you go to college uh, is that they actually, uh, you know, do different things to feel everyone, um, I mean, to make everyone feel included. So when I arrived, you know, my teammates asked questions about how Paris was. So, you know, in the uh, conversations in the locker room, I often talked about my background and what it was like to live in a wonderful city like Paris. But then the team actually did different things to, um, you know, talk about the French culture. Uh, actually, the NBA does that today and the WNBA as well. You know, there's always a, a day where we celebrate other cultures. And so at Washington, we had a few times where we did, um, uh, you know, French uh, lunch or French uh, dinners, or we invited the French community to come to the games. So the conversation was an ongoing conversation throughout the four years because you have people coming to me, asking me questions, or my teammates or different coaches would talk about France. Most people would dream about going to France, so sometimes I would give them addresses to go visit. So it was a very, you know, just a normal, you know, like ongoing conversation throughout the entire, my, my entire college experience. And so I'm also curious to know, how did you negotiate different ideas about identity and uh, racial identity and uh, possible um, discrimination based on race or ethnic background while at university? Because, of course, some of these ideas and concepts are thought of differently in France than the United States. So how, how did you negotiate those differences and how, how was it different from your earlier experiences in France? Well, it was different, but not so much uh, as far as race, race is concerned. It was different because I was foreigner. So when you come to the States, it's mm. uh, being a foreigner says it all. Color doesn't really matter because you before the color, you are a foreigner. I didn't have to explain too much about the racial differences in France because people were more into the fact that I was French. And it was amazing that I was a black French athlete and they couldn't understand why I was born in France and how it happened because they didn't have in mind the history of colonization in France. So I explained that aspect, you know, to my teammates, making them understand that I'm originally from the Caribbean and my parents, you know, worked in France and I was born in Paris. But we didn't, we didn't really talk about the, the social and the, the racism per se. You know, it was more yeah. about the origins. Right. Uh, and of course, your own children are going uh, to college in the United States, many of them playing basketball. How, how is your own experience different from that of your children? It's different because the climate is different. The world climate is different. So today, you know, in France, we, we deal with the same issues as in the States as far as race, you know, discrimination is concerned. So they've experienced that before going to the States. And so they're more aware. Now, when they go to the, when they, they go to the United States, States, they're still French and people see them as French athletes and they don't look at their color. It's something that you have to experience uh, as, a, as a foreigner. It, it, it's weird because we know we're black, you know, we know what we look like, yet people always talk to us about how we're French and it seems to be different. We're not treated like black American athletes, we're treated like French, you know, mm -hmm. athletes. I, I don't know why, like uh, I, I can't explain it. It's actually a very interesting uh, and it would be a fascinating topic to address to off, you know, like foreign black athletes who go to the States because there's a difference. Mm. Um, so we, uh, I feel like I'm treated with respect. I feel like I haven't experienced discrimination in the States because I'm French, because mm. I, I get the benefit of the doubt, because I don't know. I've been pulled over, but I was being treated with a lot of respect because I was, 
you know, French. So today my kids are in the States and, uh, you know, they, they, they understand, they, they're both French and American and uh, they, they understand both cultures, but they haven't experienced any discrimination so far in the United States. I don't know if it's due to the fact that they are athletes and as athletes, we, we are privileged. That's a reality. You know, we, we, we are protected. It doesn't mean that their athletes don't experience discrimination, but my kids haven't experienced discrimination so far. Mm. So that may be the difference from when I went to the States. I, I wasn't a victim of discrimination, but the way we, my children and, and I were tr- treated are the same. It's we're French before we're Black. That's very interesting. Well, so, you know, we talk a lot about sports role to serve as a bridge across cultures and how the people-to-people exchanges that organically occur in and around the sports terrain can help to create better understandings between peoples or cultures, help to demystify the other. You've talked a little bit about in your own experience, how that how, how that worked um, when you were in university. Uh, here, I'd like to think a little bit more about from from your personal experiences, what are the merits of sports diplomacy? And in this particular instance, what benefits do you observe as a result of this kind of cultural sports exchange? Sports uh, brings uh, everyone together, like, uh, to, you know, worldwide. So when you actually play a sport, it doesn't matter what origin you're from. You know, you come together because of uh, you share the same passion. But what's nice about the fact that uh, we can use it to, you know, create bridges between cultures and between, you know, different countries is the fact that when you play for a team or when you play for a country, you represent the country and you own the values that the country has. And for us in France, uh, in France, you know, it's liberty, equality, all those um, important things, you know, human rights are important for French athletes. So when you go and play in the Olympic Games or in the World Tournament, uh, you play against countries where, you know, the values may not be the same, but when you play against each other, there's um, a respect factor. Like we all know that we come together for one passion. Uh, obviously, there will be a team that will win and we play for the sport. But at the end of the game, we actually come together. It's it's a communion with different cultures. And that helps, you know, send messages to the public who actually sees that even if you are in a country with, you know, who plays against a country that doesn't have the same rights, you still come together and you can have a conversation and you can, you can, you can, for that moment, you can be respectful of the game and the passion. So it gives hope to have a conversation about the real issues in society in each country. Not that we're going to teach, you know, people what to do in their countries, but actually we can show that there's a conversation that can happen with all of us mm-hmm. peacefully. You know, certainly during the summer uh, of 2020, uh, events and actions have highlighted how athletes' voices and the sports world more broadly can contribute to and call attention to issues of social injustice, uh, systemic racism, discrimination, uh, human rights violations and more. I think about the ways athletes in the United States and more globally uh, took to the streets to protest after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor elsewhere in uh, Belarus, where they're protesting the regime there. And I want to ask you, how did these U.S.-centric events mostly impact your own thoughts, attitudes, and actions? Did they change the ways that you discuss issues of identity and social injustice with your family? If so, in what ways? It, it definitely changed because uh, I think that, you know, to name them, like the WNBA and the NBA did a phenomenal job of raising awareness 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, no one can be insensitive to that. They used their platform. The WNBA players were uh, started the movement. They were so powerful in the way that they handled the press after the games, the way the coaches actually spoke about the social events. They took risks, you know, they, they actually put their own identity, be, you know, to the side so that they could address a, a topic that was to them more important. And I thought that was amazing because uh, it shows courage. It shows, you know, the willingness to raise awareness and also to teach. The message that comes back a lot is teaching. You know, LeBron James, you know, all, all the players from the, the NBA talk about the teaching aspect of things, why it's important to say when things don't go right, why it's important to educate our youth and why it's important to educate people on voting. You know, mm. a lot of people don't know how to vote, to voice their opinion. You know, a lot of people don't understand that it's important to vote locally and not just for the presidential election. Mm-hmm. So all those events were so important and valuable to me as a parent because I saw that instead of, you know, talking about what's going on that's bad on social media, those athletes actually use that platform. And so social media is not bad, uh, is not only bad, it can be used for a great cause. And that's what they mm-hmm. did. And as a parent, you want to you know, educate the kids to tell them, hey, you, you do have those, you know, wonderful tools to communicate. And it's, you know, it's in the comfort of your own home and with your own thoughts. Well, use it to advance the conversation, use it to elevate the conscience and not just to, you know, um, to to brag about what you did or to brag about your results or brag about yourself. I commend all those players and the league also who supported all the athletes in in, in taking actions to make a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes a lot of courage and, and I that's, you know, to me, they're, they're superheroes. They really made a difference in my life because it made me want to do the same thing. Each voice matters. So if we can engage in a worldwide conversation, maybe we can find solutions to make this place a better place. Mm-hmm. I agree with you entirely. And, you know, these are certainly actionable steps that we can take to encourage greater inclusion um, and to strengthen our communities, to to put calls, to educate ourselves about the issues, to go out and vote. And your comments make me think of how the French sports community rallied uh, behind candidate, then-candidate Emmanuel Macron over um, Marine Le Pen in the 2017 election. And certainly I'm thinking about how U.S. athletes are very much at the forefront, as you said of uh, voter engagement uh, today for the U.S. election in 2020. In your view, what impacts can athletes have in modeling and encouraging this kind of active citizenship and political engagement? And do they have a responsibility to do so? Yeah, I think uh, athletes, um, the, the athletes who want to do mm-hmm. it, not not all athletes um, have the willingness to, you know, to uh, have a voice in the social matters in, in our country. But the athletes who do want to make a difference, you know, can definitely use their platform. Um, you know, they are uh, amazing athletes and people watch them for their talent as athletes. But we also listen to what they have to say. Unfortunately, sometimes we see the negative things that they do. And uh, bad buzz, you know, makes people talk. Those who understand the power of communication and the power of the media actually make different make a difference and they're often invited to the uh, Elysee to talk with the president to talk with the prime minister of sport we have very powerful athletes who want to change the laws who want to address issues in our sports in France uh, you mentioned uh, the movement in 2017 where athletes actually voiced their opinion about voting so that we could uh, you know reject the, the 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 white extreme wing of our political system 
from being at the head of the country. But recently, we also had the, um, I don't know if you remember, but INSEP was was attacked with a racist slogan on the pictures of uh, Thierry Riner and uh, uh, Olympic athletes. And it was um, voluntarily, you know, tar- they were targeting black athletes. And uh, again, you know, the, the sports world condemned the act and went to the to the president and asked for you know measures to be taken against uh you know those people who degrade our, our nation with you know racist comments and racist actions so you know the athletes actually have a voice in communication a voice to educate the youth a voice to encourage people to be courageous to voice their opinion when something is not right and i think that's all we can do because uh, we have to let the politicians and we have to you know we have to leave room for competent people to change the laws and to actually do what we ask them to do as citizens you know and see how it can be adapted to make better social you know rules and social laws to protect us and for our listeners who might not be as familiar with it, INSEP is the elite French uh, sports school, uh, which is kind of hallowed sacred ground where all the country's uh, elite and Olympic uh, athletes go to train and at the younger level uh, to go to school as well. Um, so those attacks on the portraits of Teddy Reiner and others were very much an affront to the the, the nation's sports um, family. Katia, really great points you've made. I'd like to just ask one last question in closing a little more provocative, perhaps. But what has been the most impactful thing that you've learned about another country or culture through basketball that you least expected? What I least expected when I played basketball is to see that the way athletes are being treated in their country wasn't the same as, you know, in France or in the United States. Because like I said before, you know, to me, athletes are privileged. And you would think that because we represent our nation, because we we fight, you know, when you go to the Olympic Games, you want to bring the gold medal. medal when, when you play, it's like a fight, you know, and then you're so proud to to represent your country. One of the recent events that was very um, shocking to me is the event in Belarusie mm. uh, with the player that was uh, incarcerated because she voiced her opinion. And I, um, um, it's not the first one, but that's the most recent one. And it really bothered me to see that at that level, and you know, she's a she, she, the basketball player that I'm talking about is an amazing basketball player who played for our country. You would think that she would be protected and not be treated unfairly, but uh, actually, she was used to show um, the public that you know anybody can be a victim of injustice. Mm-hmm. And I was very shocked to see that her status didn't protect her. Not to say that you know athletes should be more protected than others. I think everyone should have should be protected the same way, and the law should protect everyone. But that was shocking as an athlete to see that even athletes weren't protected in their own country. Right, exactly. And here you're speaking of the arrest of Yelena Luchanka, yes. um, mm-hmm. who played in France um, at the mm-hmm. highest levels. She's also an Olympian for Belarus and also played uh, several seasons in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those who are interested, there's been some onwards news reporting as she's been released from custody and detailing the the, you know, the poor conditions mm-hmm. of her confinement. Well, really well said, Katia. Um, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experiences and perspectives with us. I've learned a lot, as always. We will see you next time for another edition of Global Sports Conversations. Thank you. Thank you for having me.